Hello, everyone. I'm your host Mahin Suhail, and this is Fake ID. Here, we share stories about identity that help us understand who we are and help us become more comfortable with who we want to be. First of all, I'd like to start this episode by saying that I'm sorry it's been so long since I've released episodes. I just moved to New York, and it's been quite a busy time. But now I'm here, and I'm excited to start this journey again. One of the other reasons this episode has taken so long to release is because I've been trying to craft the perfect narrative to start off this episode. And to be honest, I've been failing miserably. I've written a couple of episode intros, I've tested them, and none of them actually felt right. And I thought about why for a while. In today's episode, we have my friend Amanda Poe, who shares with us some traumatic events that happened growing up. These stories are incredibly important, and I often find that by starting an episode with my stories, I'm not doing justice to some of the stories that come afterwards. I can't say I've had similar experiences to what Amanda has been through, but I do know what trauma feels like. And I know, and I've seen with people in my life, that if you don't deal with trauma in the right ways, in the right time, it can end up impacting the decisions that you make in life. And more importantly, it can end up impacting the people around you. I'd like to give a warning that some of these stories are about racism, about sexual assault. And if you are not feeling comfortable hearing about these topics, it's totally okay to skip this episode and maybe give one of the other episodes a listen. My name is Amanda. I am a Canadian product designer. I was born and raised in Vancouver, BC. And I also run a jewelry business on the side, trying to give back to BIPOC communities. I live with chronic illness, and I also identify as being bi. And those are both two things that I have a hard time sharing, <laughs> but I think have really influenced the things that I'm passionate about. I think I would describe my identity probably as defiant, but also tender. And then I think another word that jumps out to me is the word excavating. And I use the word excavating just because I feel like I'm constantly digging for something in myself or trying to find something in myself. And at the same time, I think excavating also alludes to layers and layers of history. So Amanda's family moved to Canada from Hong Kong in the early 90s. They moved to a small suburban town called Coquitlam in British Columbia, Canada. And the town is predominantly Caucasian. Growing up, it's not that there weren't a lot of Asians around, but I just never fully identified with the other Asians around me. So I think that was a little bit confusing for myself growing up because I like a lot of my close friends growing up were all white and I knew that we weren't quite the same. I definitely took pride in being known as whitewashed because it just reaffirmed that I was just like all of my other friends. Like you, you definitely fit in, that you belong and 
also the way that people would use it too gave me some power because the way that they would use it and say that I was whitewashed, I would almost interpret it as like, oh, I'm better than those international students. So when we think about racism, we often think about violent hate crimes. But the reality is that racism occurs all around us in really subtle ways. And for Amanda, growing up, a lot of the racism that she didn't understand at that time was racism were subtle things being said about Asians around her. A lot of it was talking about Asian men and how, not to use profanity, but like they have small dicks and things like that. And just like the stereotype of Harajuku girls and stuff like that. When I'm thinking back now, even just on the kind of like friendships that I had with other guys growing up, there's this notion of like, what is masculinity? And if you don't fit in that box, you're instantly labeled things like pussy or like a girl and things like that. And there was definitely a lot of that in my high school. And I say that because I was a participant in that as well. And when it came to Asian women, I also think there was a lot of language around women being, Asian women in particular, these objects or these, these things that people conquered. Imagine having your race and your identity be considered as objects, things that need to be conquered. When I was in high school, I was also going through an abusive relationship. And the moment I had gotten out of that, I was sexually assaulted by one of my closest friends who I confided in about that abusive relationship. I don't think it was very present to me back then, but I was going through a lot of internal turmoil and I just threw myself into things like one night stands at parties and I just partied a lot because I didn't know what was going on and didn't know how to address some of the feelings that I was going through at the time. And I just remember there was one night where I was in a room with six other guys and it was just me being the only female. and. One of them cracked a joke about how everyone in the room had seen me naked. And like, some of them kind of snickered, some of them high-fived. And I just remember being so uncomfortable in that moment. And I think that's kind of where you realize that like, some of these people don't see me as a person. And that's kind of this like, devaluing feeling that I felt time and time again, but more amplified in places like work or even just just out in the open, meeting new people. And I think, yeah, for sure, that's definitely something that a lot of Asian women have to go through, especially in the workplace. And that's so fucked up because not only are you proving your worth as an individual, but also proving that you're not just some shiny object <laughs> and that you have something to bring to the table. 
It's easy to think that these common behaviors of over-sexualizing in high school end in high school. But the truth and reality is that these situations often follow into the workplace as well. I think the most common spaces where I'd feel over-sexualized is usually in the context of me meeting some guy in a professional setting. Because I think that's when it's really clear to me of what my expectations are of them. And then suddenly for them to give me or to say something so off topic or so not what I was expecting, I'm just like, holy shit, that was kind of racist, sexist, misogynist. (laughs) I don't know, all of the above. But yeah, I've had it in interviews before where someone joked about how he wished he had bought me more drinks so that he could get more out of me. In the middle of the interview, he had said that in front of someone else. So like, I laugh about it now and I probably laughed about it then to be honest, just because of discomfort. A lot of the times that I'd find at work, it's more that like I'm trying to prove that I am worthy and also fighting different stereotypes that they have of me. Like, oh, I don't, I don't talk enough. I'm too soft-spoken. And that's definitely a reality that a lot of Asian women face, that you are docile, that you don't speak up, that you're not gonna fight back. And those are all things that, it doesn't just affect you in your relationships, but it also comes out in the workplace. Thinking about when I was working there and just thinking even back on like when people said I was soft-spoken, it just reaffirmed how our workplace culture and these ideals of what makes a good leader is just so rooted in a lot of like toxic masculinity and whiteness. The reason why I use those words is because what you normally think of as a great leader is someone that is loud, very charismatic, says what they're thinking, and just blurts stuff out sometimes. Like they're constantly sharing their opinions and there's no room for any other kind of leaders. I also think that not enough people are asking why we might not be speaking up. Because I can for sure count on my hand the number of times I've heard someone ask me, why didn't you say something during a meeting when they knew that I had something to say? And that's only one time I've ever had that happen. (laughs) It's so rare for you to find someone that is genuinely looking out for you and trying to understand how they can make you a better leader, employee, a better person. It was my manager at the time, and she took a moment to pull me aside and ask me, like, was something wrong? Are you okay? You kind of looked like you felt a little uncomfortable in that meeting. Do you want to talk about it? And it was just that genuine care that I was feeling from her that I realized I'd never felt anywhere before. And that's so rare. You just don't hear that from people. You'll mostly hear people making a quick remark being like, hey, Amanda, nice hearing from you today in a meeting where I didn't say anything. So it's just like a lot of these like sarcastic undertones. And I've definitely got that in meetings. I wish more people would ask like, hey, on the side, if someone didn't say anything during a meeting, I wish there'd be more conversations about like, 
hey, so what do you think about this? Or like, how are you feeling during this meeting? This idea of checking in with each other is incredibly important. There are many things happening around us in the world in which we forget to show up for people who are in need of our support. One example is with what's happening in the world with COVID around us. Because of COVID, we have seen a rise in racism towards Asians. The reality is that something like this has been happening for decades, but we never really provided the support that the community needed because it was rarely talked about. I think the rise in Asian hate crimes for a lot of people, myself included, has been very triggering. And triggering in the sense of like a lot of hate that's been thrown at us growing up, some traumatic events that we might have experienced and slowly realized that they were also racialized. A lot of the Me Too movement combined with the sudden rise in hate crimes has really made me think a lot more about when I was sexually assaulted by one of my closest friends and how it's kind of affected me because looking back, I realize now, yeah, that was racially charged. And when you talk to anyone that's experienced a lot of trauma, I think there's always this anticipation of you being in danger. And I don't think a lot of people talk enough about how that affects you over time. We always talk about like in the moment, how terrible it was that something like that happened and like talking about healing, but we don't talk a lot about a lot of the difficult and like darker moments that you would experience day to day, just trying to live a normal life. And I think what a lot of Asians are experiencing now is just this lack of safety. And that really fucks you up because you don't feel safe doing anything. And to a certain point, like you start drawing these lines of like, what you can and can't do, it just really diminishes your life. There's no other way to describe it. My friend at the time, he was a white male. I'd known him since elementary school, so we'd kind of like grown up together, although we weren't like super close. But as I'm thinking as to why I was drawn to him or drawn in a sense of wanting to be friends and connect, the interesting thing is that he was white but he had a really big love and obsession for Korean culture. And the more that I'm thinking of it nowadays, I think maybe part of me felt a little at home with that. And also like he would write me books and like literal pages of how to say things in Korean and like teaching me about K-pop and stuff like that. But like in, in a weird, like a small part of me also was like, oh wow, I feel like I'm learning more about myself just because it was still like what I perceived as being Asian. So there was a weird dynamic between our friendship in that sense, but he was also probably one of the people that said a lot of derogatory things about Asians to me, specifically about like, women being objects and like oh why are you dating this asian guy he has a small dick like wouldn't you rather be with me kind of deal i constantly heard that from him and i think the hard part is like when you grow up with someone when you're younger and you kind of see like the struggles that they go through you want to empathize with them and you want to give them that second chance or like <laughs> the benefit of the doubt and i think i, I definitely like looking back i did that too much 
But I also didn't know. There's no way that I could have predicted what would happen next. Given that Amanda was much younger, it's not at all surprising that she didn't know how to navigate the situation. It's the reason why I run this podcast because not enough people are talking about identity, race, gender, consent, all of these complicated topics, which are really important to learn about as you're growing up. That's a big reason why it took so long for me to even identify that as being sexual assault. Like I didn't, I didn't realize it until my mid twenties, and that was so hard of a truth to swallow, knowing that. A lot of my romantic relationships as a kid were not at all consensual and were really, really harmful. I think a part of you dies a little bit realizing that. <laughs> I think because of that, I've spent probably all of my twenties trying to unpack how that event has affected me. Because as much as I want to believe that it hasn't affected me, it has. And it's shown up in so many places, whether it's like my workplace and how I respond to male authority figures, or being at home with my family and just talking to family, or being with friends and trying to make new male friends. It shows up everywhere, and it's the exact same thing with racism and all of these verbal assaults. Or verbal abuse being thrown at people in the street, like you're constantly anticipating that. You don't even realize that you're kind of like tearing yourself apart internally. And I say that now as someone that is chronically ill. This realization that a lot of the things we do in life are happening as a result of what we've experienced in the past is really interesting. If you start to reflect on some of the bigger and smaller events in your life, and think about how it trickles down in your day to day, it can give you the chance to stop and reevaluate how you decide to show up in the world. And for Amanda, this is part of her ongoing journey. I don't think I quite have the answer yet, and I'm okay with that. If I were to think back on how the sort of like soul searching. Has been. I think I've moved past that stage of numbness that I first described to you when I was younger, and suddenly the gates were open, and I started having to unpack a lot of hurtful events from my past. So when I think back on when I was sexually assaulted by my friend. I can understand now and direct my hate and bitterness now, not to him, but to all of these systems of harm that have kind of contributed to that. And the reason why I'm able to have empathy with him is because I saw the kind of pain that he went through within his own family. That can only kind of help me connect the dots to understand. Why he felt the need to have some sort of power dominance over me, and I think now I'm understanding a lot more these cycles of harm that have led to painful events, and they're making me ask myself, how can I 
not contribute to that and also find a new way and find new communities that are actively working against that when it comes to building my identity. I think I've, I've tried to do so much digging and like unpacking and nitpicking so that I can understand why I made certain decisions. Because looking back now, I can realize I made certain decisions because I was triggered and I didn't realize I was triggered. And that was from the trauma that I experienced. But moving forward, how can I make decisions for myself? And how can I try and unpack who I am without all of these connotations and assumptions that people have about me, whether it's like my race or my gender. Listening to Amanda's story, it made me reflect on some of the tougher events of my life. A lot of these events have made me stronger and more of a confident person. But some of these events, because they were more traumatic, have influenced me to act and behave in certain ways that I'm not very proud of. And it's an ongoing journey that I'm working on. For example, there might be conversations that happen around those topics that I'll react impatiently towards and I might snap at the people around me. And in that moment, I don't really realize why it's happening, but now it's interesting to reflect on those moments and think about why I behave that way. Her journey also made me think about the times when I was treated differently because of my gender and race. It made me think about the role that I play in amplifying these scenarios. For example, there are still times when I'm judgmental towards people of my own community, and I might keep my distance from them because of the stereotypes that I've exaggerated in my own mind. So, as we wrap up this episode, I want you to think about a tough event in your life. How has that event shaped who you are today? Has it impacted how you treat the people around you? And has it influenced how you lead your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Thank you for listening to Fake ID. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you can share it on your social media channels or if you could send it to someone who might enjoy it. If you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, do reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Fake ID Podcast. In the coming weeks, I am going to experiment a bit more with the different types of episodes. So I hope you're excited. And yeah, just stay tuned and I'll see you guys in two weeks.